This is Unexpected Beginnings, the neonatal unit. Why did my body do this? Why did it let them out so early? That is my whole experience of it and there's no more. That is it. I missed out. I feel very robbed of my pregnancy. I never got that big bump and the waddle. Hello, I'm Caroline Verdon. And I'm Kerry Bickerdyke, and we're both parents of babies that were admitted to the neonatal unit. I think when you go home, you have that time to think, don't you? And the, the panic and anxiety, for some people, might slowly subside, but then you begin to process what's happened to you, and you can feel all sorts of emotions. Like, lots of the parents that we spoke to, whilst holding on to that bigger picture of, well, my baby's home now and they're well... They also felt quite angry and upset and cheated. And that is okay to feel that. We've we've all been through something difficult. Yeah. I think it's when you get into your safe space that your mind allows you to, to think about what you've been through. And it's quite scary. And it's... It's as well... It's the fact that we try to deny ourselves those feelings. Like, well, my journey wasn't as bad as so and so's, and therefore, what am I complaining about? Yeah, I've had lots of chats um, with parents on the unit when I've been volunteering about how they feel guilty for feeling the way they do when the baby next to them is in a much worse position. But I'm definitely a strong believer of every situation is different. But as you've walked through those doors, you've lived and breathed the neonatal path and every ounce of guilt and fear is completely valid no matter what your situation Absolutely. And just because the outcome was brilliant doesn't mean that the journey wasn't traumatic and terrifying. It's like, you know, for me, I have two children who are right now upstairs and I've got a six-year-old Arthur who is hilarious and brilliant and funny. And I've got a two-year-old Fred who is turning into like a little cheeky toddler climbing on everything. And I am so grateful for them, like so grateful. But that isn't my whole story. We lost our first baby uh, very late on in very traumatic circumstances. And that caused me a lot of grief and a lot of pain. And then when Arthur was born, or when I was pregnant with Arthur, the anxiety over the pregnancy because of what had happened previously was huge. And then when he arrived, I had postnatal depression and, uh, you know, postnatal anxiety. Then we had Fred. The pregnancy was just horrific from start to finish. Um, and, you know, then there was this whole neonatal journey. And you can't just switch off from that. You can't just say, well, look on the bright side. You need to be able to work through that and, Mm. you know, to be grateful for what you have, but also to acknowledge what you feel like you've missed and what you have missed and the, the fact that you went through something that was really tough. One thing that worries me about speaking to friends and family is the amount of times I was suffering with my anxiety and people said, but you're a mum now, you need to care for the baby. <laughs> that doesn't make my anxiety disappear just because I've got another human to look after. Yeah. It makes it worse. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, well, you know, look, look, they're doing so well now. You don't need to dwell yeah. on all that stuff from the past. And it's like, no, you don't need to dwell on it, but you you, but you, live you it. do need to yeah, live it and find a way of actually dealing with it. Nicola had Chester and Charlie at 29 weeks. Why did my body do this? Why did it let them out so early? Um, but 
then when you do sit back and think about it, there was a reason for it. And nine times out of ten, the nurses can do as good a job out in the environment as what your body can do. I, I saw that with my own eyes. Um, but it doesn't stop you from feeling guilty and thinking, why? Why couldn't I have kept them in to 37 weeks like I should have done? It's hard, isn't it? Because sometimes there aren't answers to those questions. And I think the more you try and search for the answer, the more you you miss out on things that the baby's doing. And then a year later, you're feeling then guilty because you've spent all your time searching for the answer. And it is one big circle of guilt. It's why, you know, the fact that there is help available is so yeah. good and the you know it's why we need to realize it's good to put your hand up and say actually I could do with that bit of support because there are times when we feel cheated because we didn't have that experience we were going to have and it's okay to acknowledge that Charlotte had Noah at 30 weeks and six days I knew nothing different because Noah was my first that's my whole experience of childbirth and and afterwards, that is my whole experience of it. And that is what it'll be. Do you know what I mean? Because there's, no, there's no more. That, that is it. I missed out. Missed out on those. Chris missed out. Um, I feel guilt for not realising that I was in labour and not ringing him. Um, anger that he wasn't there. Um, anger that Noah came early. Still shocked. I think a lot of parents feel that shock for quite a long time yeah it doesn't go away does it because it's it sort of always lives there a little bit Uh, Michelle and Tim had Freya at 25 weeks and she was really poorly with neck and needed multiple surgeries but is now home and well when you look back on pregnancy and birth in the early days do either of you feel cheated oh yeah yeah (laughs) I think there's a lot of things that you, well, you, you do, but I think uh, you kind of realise that you've got a healthy baby now with no problems and you kind of cling on to that. But there's little things that we lost, like we didn't get to give her a first dummy because the nurses in hospital did that. Uh, they dressed her for the first time. Uh, for you, that was a, a big one, wasn't it? You, you sort of lose things like that. Um, I think during the delivery, I mean, Freya was an IVF baby and we, we don't make any secret of that because, we, you know, I don't know some people find it a bit taboo, but we're, we're sort of all about challenging that. Um, but even in that itself, you get robbed of so many things. I always thought that I'd have a, a, a drunken um, fumble with, for want of a better word, with my <laughs> wife one night, and then it'd be, oh my God, I'm pregnant, and oh, oh happy, oh, happy surprise. But um, no, IVF takes all that away from you, particularly as a man, it's quite, um can be quite. Um, uh, I wouldn't say as far as humiliating, but it's um, it's not a nice experience. It's very clinical. And, um, I mean, in some ways you get to see your child being built. Um, so it's quite fascinating. And, uh, you know, seeing the blob on screen that becomes your baby is all good. So you gain things. But um, certainly through the, the NICU journey, you, you, you're kind of robbed of a, of a lot of things those first few months. But I kind of try and look at it as a positive because – Dads are always awkward with babies. We don't know what we're doing. Um, you know, it's just a funny little thing that screams. Um, but I, I was trained to handle a baby by, you know, the best neonatal nurses around. So silly little things like changing nappies. And obviously there was a lot of surgical care with fire, with the stoma care. 
that we were trained to do uh, in Leeds and Newcastle. Uh, and things that I was able to ask because you spend so much time. Uh, once we got to Newcastle and Leeds, we were with Faye for four days. Um, so you're there all day with the nurses. And as a dad, you can ask all the questions that um, you maybe don't or don't know where to ask when, when you bring a baby straight home from hospital, having you know, given birth and been kicked straight out within 24 hours. So you're almost eased into it, if you like. So by the time she comes home, even though she was still on oxygen for a couple of months and she just had the storm reversed, I was very comfortable doing everything and, and looking after her. Um, I don't think I'd be would have been that confident if um, she'd have been a normal, in inverted commas, nine-month birth and Michelle had gone into labour and we'd come out 24 hours later with a, a screaming person that I have to look after. I think I'd be, I'd feel quite at sea and I, I have a lot of sympathy now for dads that are in that position. Um, mm. As I say, I had four months of, um, I almost feel like I could have been a neonatal nurse because I, I, I knew that much by after four months of being there every day um, that it gave me quite a bit of confidence. But in terms of, I suppose, yeah, losing stuff, um, you kind of have to think of the positives, really, and she, she, she could have very easily not been here. Um, so, yeah. We... I feel very robbed of my pregnancy. It had taken such a lot of effort and time to, to conceive and to become pregnant. You know, I never got that big bump and the waddle and all the things that people complain about but um I, I kind of wanted that you know and I, I um I absolutely didn't want a cesarean section delivery um and there's a lot of stigma around those as well the amount of ridiculous comments you get um about being too posh to push and silly things like that um you know I've, so I feel robbed of my pregnancy I robbed of my my vaginal delivery um I didn't get to have a baby shower. Um, well, I, I say that we did, but after Freya came home with her present, which was a little unusual. Um, but, yeah. Um, and then once you're in NICU, uh, you've got someone else kind of telling you when you can and can't hold your own baby. Um, and, you know, even if things are going well, which they were to start with, and you're allowed to have those cuddles every day, you've still got to rely on other people to lift them out and pass them to you and navigate all the tubes and the wires. And um, a lot of things are out of your control, really. Um, and like Tim says, um, I got really quite upset because a nurse with the best of intentions had wanted to help us um, not miss Freya so much while we were at home and not staying in the hospital. And I had dressed her in some really lovely little outfits and taken some gorgeous photos and sent them to us while we were at home. And I remember looking at them and thinking, oh, doesn't she look cute? Oh, she's dressed. And then thinking, oh, uh, and this realisation that actually, what? Um, because I'd bought all these tiny, and, and we'd been bought as gifts, all these tiny preemie clothes that I was just desperate to dress her in and... Um, for think because you know they spend so long naked in an incubator or just in a nappy that you you're just looking forward to those moments when they're allowed to put clothes on and things start to feel a bit normal again and I'd every day carried this bag of clothes in with me in the hope that today would be the day I got to dress her and then um not only had someone else taken that from me but they'd not even used the clothes that we bought and used something out of the ward stock and and they were lovely you know they were really lovely outfits and we got to keep them and I've still got them now but it it really hurt. 
And it sounds so silly in the grand scheme of things. And I think because she was our first baby and the doctors and nurses have said that if we were to conceive again, there is a very strong likelihood that the same thing would happen again. Um, and because of IVF and various other factors in our age and all this, you know, we, we've made the decision that we're not going to have any more children. So the things that were taken from us, we're, we're not going to get a second go at that. Um, so I do grieve those things sometimes. And then I, and then I, I laugh about it and think, well, you know what, it doesn't really matter. She's okay and she's healthy and there's other people in far worse situations. But, you know, they are still important, really. Those feelings are very common and it's very important. Somebody dressed Charlie for the first time, so I completely understand how it feels. Absolutely. Uh, Dr Rachel Averson is the Principal Clinical Psychologist at the Paediatric Psychology Service at Leeds Children's Hospital. When parents leave the ward, um, myself and Sandy Allison, um, our counsellor, would contact them to check in. Um, and This can be an informal just to see how they're doing, how they're feeling. We know that it's a really vulnerable time for families when they leave the ward. There's often so much happening on the ward that actually they leave. And then as much as families look forward to getting home, sometimes it can be really, really hard for lots of reasons, but primarily processing a lot of trauma and going through the enormity of their experience and what they've been through with their baby. So by by ringing and checking in, we're, we're just assessing really where they're at, how things are, and whether they need either support from ourselves or signposting onto another organisation who'd be able to help. Perinatal mental health team are wonderful. They do lots of support with families who have been through a distressing time um, with their with their child, with their baby, and they can do home visits and community support, and they can keep that support going until the baby's two years old. So it's long term, long term support, and it's tailored to the needs of, of parents. I suppose in terms of the ward support, the neonatal outreach team do a lot of emotional support in their role. The focus is primarily monitoring children and babies as they as they leave the ward, but their their, their role is also to support parents as well, and they'll do a lot of listening and, and signposting on. And my, myself and Sandy, we try and get involved with as many families as we can to, I suppose, reduce the stigma of psychology really, and to normalise that actually it's been. A really really tough time for families and what they've seen and heard and what they've gone through with their their own babies can be incredibly traumatic and that can take several different forms some people can find that the impact of that is quite long lasting it can be you know around the baby's first birthday that they really feel that they're struggling and feeling overwhelmed and struggling with the memories of what they've they've been through and and just how nervous they've been taking their baby home and caring for a, a baby that might need additional needs as well so um so yeah, in terms of support from the ward, we're very much um, keen to support at that point in time in, in that family's journey when, when they might feel particularly vulnerable. The support we offer is parent-centred, so um, we, we meet the, the needs of parents. And I think some people, it's just helpful to have a one-off conversation of naming naming what they've been through, what they've seen and heard, and saying it to someone that's not family, not friends. Um, and from, I suppose, anecdotal evidence, we know that families are sometimes um, maybe reassured, well, they're, you're home now, and I think that sort of compartmentalising, well, you're home, so things must be better, or that, you know, think positive, or, um, well, it could have been much worse, all these sorts of, I suppose, statements where people try and comfort their loved ones and families, but can sometimes be 
unfortunately misjudged and um, having a, a safe a safe person to speak to and a professional um, with experience of the traumas that families do go through when they've been on the ward is, is incredibly beneficial and we, we recognise that some families just need that one off and some families might need um, quite a lot more input and it's it's tailored to what they need. It's interesting that you use the word trauma because it's something that um, that Kerry's used a few times and it was the first time I'd, he- I'd heard the word trauma. I ha- hadn't really you know, I, I, we went through neonatal, um, uh, our, our two-year-old was born at 33 weeks. Um, and so we were there for a little while. I was poorly, I was, um, quite unwell and in hospital for maybe three months, um, in total whilst he was in neonatal. It was a, it was a juggle. Um, and I hadn't before thought about it as a trauma. I had lots of people saying to me, you've been through something really difficult. And I thought, have I? Like, really? Um, and I knew that it took me a long time to process things. And I knew that I needed more support. And I, you know, I accepted every piece of that support uh, very, very willingly. But um, but it is a trauma. It isn't that case of, well, now you can take your baby home and isn't everything wonderful? It's it's. it's- it's the brain it's the way the brain responds to something very very threatening and to be put into that fear state of of having a baby poorly or being poorly yourself um, and to to remain in that fear and threat threat system for a long long time where your body is absolutely fueled with adrenaline and the stress hormone cortisol um we, we obviously we're designed to tolerate that for short bursts but to be in that state for you know, weeks and weeks and weeks and months, it, it, it does take its toll on the body. Um, and it's natural for people to respond with real hypervigilance. So, you know, watching their babies every breath and it, we see it a lot on the wards, watching monitors and um, just constantly checking and feeling on high alert all the time. Um, and it, the world can feel a really threatening and scary place. And yeah, that, that's, that's when we know parents are experiencing trauma that everything feels potentially threatening and frightening um and then unable to soothe and the mechanisms that we would normally use to settle a bit or feel a little bit calmer or rest they're completely stripped away when you're going through something so potentially frightening and, and threatening um and yeah the, the, there aren't those resources that you can tap into it, it's not straightforward. It's it's not, you know, always talking to a friend or having a walk. It's it's sometimes it really affects the brain and the way parents and people think about what they've experienced, their child, their future. And, and it's like life's turned upside down for, for families as well. Um, and it, it, incredibly overwhelming. But yeah, that overwhelm very quickly can turn into, into trauma. Interestingly, a lot of mums that and dads that we've spoken to have said they were nervous of saying anything. They did not want to say that they were not coping or that they were worried about something. And lots of parents have spoken about their concern being, my baby's going to get taken away if I'm not perfect, if I'm not coping perfectly with this situation. Um, what would your advice be to those parents who are who are perhaps struggling a bit which is completely normal, but who are worried that raising their hand and signposting that is one step very, very close to having a baby taken away. You're absolutely right, Caroline, when you say it is entirely normal to experience the intense distress and upset and struggle with with parenting a child, given that adverse experience. Um, 
And you're so right when you say there is that stigma, isn't there, about accessing help um, at such a kind of crucial and vulnerable time. But people still feel that, oh, God, I, you know, I couldn't speak to a psychologist or a counsellor because what will that mean? And is that mean? does that mean I'm not doing things right or am I failing as a parent? When actually the response is completely expected and, and, and normal and actually the parents that we meet on the ward we sort of worry about the ones that are saying yeah everything's fine everything's fine and I think it does hit for them when they get home um and I would really encourage people to to access support because it can take lots of different forms whether it's peer support and you know accessing things like this in the podcast whether it's connecting to another family who have been through similar experiences or speaking to your health visitor, neonatal outreach nurse, and, and asking for psychological support because it's there and it's it's available to families. Um, and it's it's only sort of recently come to be that parents can access, you know, all this support. But the recognition from the profession is that there are so many people struggling and actually, unfortunately, struggling in silence. Um, and and it's a very isolating experience. People sometimes think this is just me other people are getting on with their lives and coping with similar situations fine and why am I finding this so difficult and so so hard but it's it's expected it's expected to have a strong emotional response to a a set of really sort of abnormal uh, experiences to to go through for your life and for your baby's life Um, and when you can name that and go actually I'm really struggling with this this is incredibly hard and it's impactful to sleep and my relationship with my child and my sort of joy for being a parent um when when you can sort of recognize those things and have that awareness and seek support it can be very freeing to to name it and for someone to validate that experience with you and say of course yeah it's understandable for you to have those thoughts and feelings given yeah the enormity of your experience so it's it's a it's a brave thing and knowing that someone's with you someone's supporting you and hearing completely non-judgmentally and you can say those things that you wouldn't say to close friends and families or your partner um and, and saying things like, I'm not enjoying this, you know, this is unbearable at times and it's not it's not how I imagined it and it's not what I wanted. And we hear people say things like they were robbed of, uh, you know, sort of maybe their parts of their pregnancy were taken away from them and the, the enjoyment they should have had for that. But also when a new baby comes into the world, uh, that sort of dichotomy of people saying to them, congratulations and sending gifts and flowers and they're not feeling that joy or that happiness because they're stuck in a special care baby unit or neonatal intensive care um, and families who haven't been through that can't ever imagine the upset and distress and trauma that that family are going through. So um, it's it's really hard to share your experiences with people that possibly don't don't know. And you know, we always encourage people to talk to friends and family and community, people in the community that they feel close to. But actually, sometimes having an outside listening ear um, who is is there purely to hear your story non judgmentally um, and to offer uh, you know guidance, but mostly listening, um, yeah, can be so so beneficial. But we, we recognise it's a big step. On our next episode, we're going to take a deeper look into mental health and hear more about other parents' experiences. To find out more information on anything you've heard about in this episode, do check out the links in our show notes. Unexpected Beginnings, the neonatal unit, is recorded in conjunction with Leeds Children's Hospital and funded by Leeds Hospitals Charity. As the official charity of Leeds Teaching Hospitals, They support NHS staff to deliver the best care for patients and their families. Generous donations have funded life-saving equipment, research, fellowships and improvements to the patient environment. Every penny donated helps to support the hard-working staff across the hospitals 
and enhance the experience of patients and their families. To find out more, head to leedshospitalscharity.org.uk. This podcast was created and produced by Under the Mast Creative Audio Productions.